Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless. Discerninghearts.com presents Pathway to Sacred Mysteries with Dr. David Fagerberg. Dr. Fagerberg is a professor of liturgical theology at the University of Notre Dame. He holds an M.A. from St. John's University, Collegeville, and an STM from Yale Divinity School, and a Ph.D. from Yale University. His books include Theological Prima, On Liturgical Asceticism, Consecrating the World, Liturgical Mysticism, and Liturgical Dogmatics. Pathway to Sacred Mysteries with Dr. David Fagerberg. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. David, thank you for joining me once again. Nice to be back. Can you give us your definition of liturgy? As I've said, I've been uh, trying to thicken the definition, and I thought the thickest I could come up with is if I uh, started with the Trinity. That's not original to me. I see uh, Pius XII do it. I see Virgil Michael do it. I see the Catechism do it. But uh, in that company, I've also tried to do it. To give my definition, I shrunk it into as um, condensed a form as possible. And so I need to lay out a few of the terms in order to come up with a definition. These terms are like uh, Lego bricks, and we'll define them first, and then we can put the uh, pirate ship together uh, at the end. The first term is a mouthful, but I keep coming across it, and this is why I've inherited, and it's the term perichoresis. It comes from the Greek peri, which means around. You uh, probably have heard of a perimeter, a perim- perimeter. And then korain, which has multiple meanings, but the uh, primary ones involve to make room for, to contain. If you wanted to uh, translate this into Latin, it would be circumincessio, to uh, go around, but to step up, to approach. Um, perichoresis means that A person shares in the life of another, penetrates the other, and is penetrated by them. doesn't exactly just mean uh, dancing, as it's sometimes defined in a kind of a mock egalitarian sort of way. It means uh, going around and beyond one's place, making room for. Well, the very interesting fact is that perichoresis was first used about Jesus, That's a term used to describe the divine human natures within him. Christological perichoresis meant that the divine nature made room for the human nature. The human nature makes room for the divine nature. They cooperate. The Trinity, therefore, inherited the word because it's used about persons of the Trinity reciprocally containing one another while yet remaining what they are. They're other and yet they're in union, in communion. So I hear in this word perichoresis, the fellowship, koinonia, integration, cooperation, mutuality, reciprocity. And that's what the catechism means when it refers to the Trinity to define liturgy. We did this the other day. The works of God are a prelude to the work of Christ, and he accomplishes this in the Paschal Mystery And then 1069 says, liturgy meant a public work, a service in the name of and on behalf of the people. The uh, Trinity identifies the 
long-range plan of God, the economy of salvation, as uh, St. Paul called it. And what is that plan? It's to uh, glorify God and to sanctify human beings. Second term that I want besides perichoresis is the word kenosis. And most people know this word without knowing they know it. It's from Philippians, have this mind which is yours in Christ Jesus, who did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but kenosis, emptied himself, came uh, down from on high. Kenosis is primarily used about the incarnation, but it can also be used about creation. The act of creation was a kenotic act by God. Thomas Aquinas says it in the uh, Summa, uh, God himself, the cause of all things, by his abounding love and goodness, is placed outside himself in providence for all existing things. My um, picture of a perichoresis is a triangle with movement between the three points, and the movement gets so fast and furious that it spills over like uh, water spilling out of a tub when you were a kid and you slid around in circles inside there. An Orthodox theologian writing about Dionysus, his name is Alexander Galitzin, he also makes this same point. When the created mind, uh, that would be us, our minds are created, uh, that would include the angels. Their reason is created as well. There's only three uncreated minds, that's the Trinity. But when the created mind encounters the divinity in darkness, it's no longer as a creature. Rather, it stands outside itself. Stand is stasis, outside is ek, ekstasis, ecstasy. That's the root of this word, ecstasy. Well, Galitzin goes on, if the creature may only encounter God as he is in his transcendence through a passing out of the creature's proper being, the same thing applies in reverse. Conversely, God may enter into relationship, including the act of creation, only through a kind of self-transcendence. Moved to create, God, in a sense, leaves the state of being proper to him. He goes outside his hidden essence. And I've got kenosis on my mind when I think about the Big Bang. Why is there something instead of nothing? It's not because there was some need on God's part. He's not lacking something. Uh, oh, I could be happy if only I had a, a planet with uh, platypuses and giraffes on it. But I, I feel this uh, emptiness inside. God has no emptiness. He's perfect, perfectly happy. But he overflows himself. And kenosis is this overflowing so that's the way in which the word kenosis is applied to the incarnation. Ratzinger has a uh, lovely articulation of it in his book, uh, The Spirit of the Liturgy. And he uses not the word kenosis, but the Latin word exitus and reditus. Exitus is thoroughly positive, the creator's act of creation. He has a will that created order should exist as something apart from him, but connected to him. And that created order can give a response of freedom and love back to God. And then the creature comes home to itself, and this act is an answer in freedom to God's love. The creature accepts creation from God as his offer of love, and then begins a dialogue of love. The being of the other is not absorbed or abolished, but in giving itself, it becomes fully itself. Giving itself is this perichoretic, perichoresis act. So the reditus is a return, but the return isn't abolishing creation. It bestows the full and final perfection on creation. 
I'm almost done. I need one more word. Perichoresis, kenosis, and now the word synergy, which I think came up last time we were talking. Synergy means two qualities or forces that are unequal in importance, but equal in necessity. Syn, S-Y-N, means together, and ergia means energy or work or activity. It's like cooperatio, sin ergia. Augustine observed, he who made you without your consent does not justify you without your consent. He made you without your knowledge, but he doesn't justify you without your willing it. So God energizes and we synergize. He's energized, we synergize, we respond and um, uh, move with him. If we were thinking of a divine waltz, he takes the lead and I follow. And where is this all headed? Towards deification, towards becoming one with God in union with God. Psalm 82, I said you are gods and all of you sons of the Most High. Second Peter 1, this promise has been granted that you may become partakers of the divine nature. And the image for this always in the um, fathers was a iron bar placed in fire. Iron isn't hot, it's by nature cool, but it can take on the nature of the fire when it's in the fire. Well, here are my Lego blocks. Now, uh, you can't see me off camera, but I'm going to uh, construct them into my pirate ship. I define liturgy as the perichoresis of the Trinity, canonically extended to invite our synergistic ascent into deification. I use that definition in all the articles I write. So far, nobody's noticed. I'm trying to become famous for it. I'm going to make t-shirts next, I guess. So how else can I get the word out? The perichoresis of the Trinity, canonically extended to invite our synergistic ascent into deification. I mean that the Trinity's circulation of love turns itself inside out, and in humility, the Son and the Spirit work the Father's good pleasure for all creation. And what is that? It's to invite our ascent to participate in the very life of God. And this cannot be forced. It must be done with our cooperation. That means you can think of hierarchy as a kind of ladder, a Jacob's ladder, by which God descends to invite our human ascent. This is why the Incarnation and the Ascension are equally important uh, feasts. And what makes up the rungs of that ladder. The church, ecclesiality, the sacraments, our liturgy, our prayer life, everything that Christ has given to his bride, that he might descend to us and we might ascend to him. That's the liturgical circulation. Uh, people know about the water cycle from grade school, rain and evaporation. Well, this is agape and eucharistia. This is the kenosis, the coming of God, so that his circulation of love could include us. So, uh, I'll finish. There's a, a perichoresis of the Trinity. That's what I started with. There's a perichoresis in Christ. His hypostatic union as a person is a perichoretic relation between the divine and the human. And now we are invited into a spiritual perichoresis. We make space within for God. He makes space in himself for us. And there's this uh, 
book out by an anonymous French nun titled The Redeemer's Call to Consecrated Souls. It was published in 2012, written in the 1930s. And I had the thought about spiritual perichoresis from a paragraph of hers. It's a short um, paragraph. She writes in Christ's voice. This is what Christ tells me to tell you. Uh, She's channeling uh, his word. And uh, in one place she writes this. Christ says this, and she writes it down. Coming and exchanging places means to give up one's place in order to take one's place. And in order to make place for me, Christ, must I not banish and drive away all the rest, substituting my thoughts, my heart, my volition for yours? So there's no longer anything left of yourself, only me. You who are replaced by me, take my place and continue me and perpetuate me. That's the perichoresis of the Trinity, now doing a spiritual perichoresis inside our hearts. So, where else does liturgy lead except to mysticism? A mystical spiritual communion with God. That's not just for the special people. That's for every baptized member of the church. They are to be called to, they are to become and be called a mystic. There's my long answer to your short question. Oh, I loved it. Well, it means, isn't every journey, actually, uh, as we move towards things. You know, I couldn't help think in my mind as you were describing that conversion, when we're called, it's always a moving towards. It's an action word. It's a verb. I mean, it's not static. The thing about that is that movement, as you were describing it, this may sound silly, all I could think of was a tornado. Mm, Yes. That at the very top, it's huge and it's swirling. Whirl, I mean, we have in our minds is a violent image, but actually that that spinning and moving and that constant turning, turning, turning all the way down to a certain pinpoint, and it picks you up, and without any effort on your part in some ways, once that picks you up, it just turns and brings you into a place much higher and much loftier and and one that we can't even imagine. It's a pretty image because at its top, the um, diameter of the tornado could be, I don't know how long, uh, miles or... Mm -hmm. You know, huge, but it actually uh, narrows, how narrow, to what point? To the point of a single person. Mm-hmm. Tornado exists such that it can finally touch one heart, one life, one at a time, for this sake of ascent, for the rising up. The Pentecost was a pneumatic experience, a fire, and fire tends to return home. It goes up, it goes where it belongs. It could take us too if, but it's a big if, we weren't too heavy, if it could lift us off the ground. Well, what makes us too heavy? Pride, vainglory, avarice. Oh, oh, I'm talking about the passions again. Chesterton said, Satan fell by force of gravity. Pride makes him heavy. The angels can fly because they take themselves lightly. In a human being's ascetical journey to become a liturgist is to make him, him or herself lighter, to discard the weighty baggage of sin and vices and passions. We'll return to Pathway to Sacred Mysteries with Dr. David Backerberg in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app in which you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? 
Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Deacon James Keating, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more are found on the Discerning Hearts free app. Did you also know that you can stream Discerning Hearts programming on numerous streaming platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and so many more. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has the YouTube page? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts. Take, Lord, and receive all my liberty, my memory, my understanding, and my entire will, all that I have and call my own. You have given all to me. To you, Lord, I return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will. Give me only your love and your grace. That is enough for me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us, listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Pathway to Sacred Mysteries with Dr. David Fagerberg. We hear it in the scriptures all the time. You have been called, that call of, of Samuel, that call that we hear in the liturgy from Elijah's experience, the still small voice. There's something that is calling us. You know, like a tornado would come and you would do everything you can to hold on to something. Yes. Not to be taken away. And at baptism, that yes that ascent is the letting go yeah ideally calling you used as a word that would be vocatio that would mean that every christian receives a vocation at baptism what just the priests have a vocation oh just the monk has a vocation no every baptized christian has a vocation this is your liturgical vocation which has both a world changing and spirit ascending dimension to it. The other term you used was conversion, and I was uh, slipping back to that. It does mean to turn around. Mm -hmm. The Greek word for conversion, metanoia, means to turn around. I'm heading for class and I've forgotten my iPad. I will convert. I'll go back to the office and pick up the iPad. But the breakdown of the word is meta, which means like beyond, transcending, Aristotle wrote his book on biology, chemistry, physics, and then there was another chapter, Metaphysics, Beyond, Meta. Well, Meta what? 
metanous, and nous is mind. So conversion, metanoia, means to take on a new mind, to receive a new mind. Well, what could you do with a new mind? I might see things differently. I might change my values. They might be turned upside down from selfish values to kingdom values. Conversion is a one step, but it's a lifelong step. The entire life is an extended baptismal conversion. That's why baptism doesn't end something. It starts something the same way that a wedding starts a marriage. It's, it's not the end of the marriage. It's the beginning of the marriage. And baptism is the start of what? What do you want to call the thing that baptism is the start of? Um, Christianity, spirituality, your liturgical life, your spiritual warfare, your joys in the kingdom. It's, it's the beginning. Vatican II documents on the, sacred, on the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy. We hear that the liturgy, that particularly most fully the Eucharistic celebration, is the source and summit of all graces. It's all where that flows. And I yes. couldn't help but now remember what you were saying about how, well, the Trinity, they're not empty, but they overflow. It overflows into us. Is that the overflowing that we receive? I think it is. What are we talking about? The fruits of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The life of Christ in our heart, our life in Christ, Alta Christus, the church is the totus Christus, head and body. I've been reading another spiritual author who talks about you giving Christ another humanity. He had his first humanity when he was Jesus in the carpenter shop, but now he still has a humanity in this world. And you're it, and you're it, and you're it. Our communion with Christ gives him another humanity. The catechism speaks about us being his lips, his uh, hands, his feet. How else does Christ work except through us, through, in our humanity? So we are taken into the circulation of love, the tornado of the Holy Spirit, and it places itself in us. And that's been called adoption been called divinization it's been called sanctifying grace makes somebody holy it's been called deification that's for the start and telos of all humanity and the baptized are a visible witness to this that's our martyrdom our martyria to the world to witness to that that calling too of you, you talked about vocation and it also tells us the church teaches us that we're called to a type of priesthood Yes. And for, I think, many lay people, that is something you hear that, they might just park that to the side because it's a little bit too much for us to grasp. But what, what does that mean? I know Father over there, and maybe even those who have been called to holy orders, but what does that mean of and our participation in that life of the liturgy? A uh, church statement might be in order to answer that. If you're unsure of your answer, plagiarize, uh, but it's not <laughs> plagiarism in the academy when you uh, give credit for it. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to wait and give uh, credit for it when I'm done. Sacred scripture describes a twofold priesthood, one internal, the other external. So we'll have to distinguish these. Regarding the internal priesthood, all the faithful are said to be priests once they have been washed in the saving waters of baptism. Especially is this name given to the just who have the Spirit of God and who by the help of divine grace have been made living members of the great high priest, Jesus Christ. 
For enlightened by faith, which is inflamed by charity, they offer up spiritual sacrifices to God on the altar of their hearts. Among such sacrifices must be reckoned every good and virtuous action done for the glory of God. The external priesthood, on the contrary, does not pertain to the faithful at large, but only to certain men who have been ordained and consecrated to God by the imposition of hands and ceremonies of the Holy Church and are devoted to a particular sacred ministry. That quote comes from the Roman Catechism after the Council of Trent. That's from the 16th century. Oh, 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 I thought this uh, everybody's a priest was just some crazy idea that the 20th century came up with. No, I find it all the more interesting since the winds of the Protestant Reformation were blowing one direction to say, uh, everybody's got a priesthood. And you would expect the Council of Trent to blow just as hard on the backside. Oh, no, they don't. That's not what they do. They just stand upright. They don't lean excessively. Regarding the internal priesthood, all the faithful are said to be priests once they've been washed in baptism. So Mrs. Murphy, our prototypical baptized person, is a priest, though not of the ordained variety, is a theologian, though not of the academic variety, is an ascetic, though not of the monastic variety, and is a mystic, though not of this extraordinary variety. All these forms of life and ministries and vocations in the church are expressions that come out of the fullness of baptism. Let's try an uh, illustration. White light, I am told, has all the colors inside it. White has all the colors. Only when it passes through a prism does it turn into the rainbow. In baptism, you receive all the light of Christ, but then it passes through the prisms of your life, and Roy G. Biv, right? A red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. Here's Mary, here's Martha. Here's a apostolic saint, here's a contemplative saint. Here's a mother, and here's a virgin. Here's the white light, the single white light that's bestowed in baptism passes through various personal and cultural prisms according to God's need. This is what his providence dictates. So, if you wanted to find yourself, return to the font. What did you get? What is God calling, what color is God designing for you to be? But that wouldn't be done apart from the church. I did my churchy duty over there, but now I'm pursuing whatever spirituality I have in mind for myself. And I want you to pursue your spirituality. I want you to pursue the spirituality God wants to give you, which is what he bestowed when the perichoresis was canonically extended. Okay, definition one more time. It just means that we become our, in this variety in the church. The church holds that uh, set of variety. As you're describing it too, it's really a sharing of the divine life. For whatever reason, he's chosen to share with us. Yes. And that's different, I think, sometimes when we think of, when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit or sometimes our verbiage, I don't know if it's our, the way we speak in English or whatever that is, but we say we have or I want. Ask for it and you'll receive it. But wait, he's already sharing it with you. He's already united with you in this. You don't have to demand. You don't have to 
ask. It's already there. It's part of the whatever you want to do because it's always been and always will and be you. I, I'm not trying to sound too ethereal, but do you know what, I, what I'm trying to say? Yeah. You started by being modest about whatever the reason is, and we could assign an essay assignment. Uh, do you do that on your podcasts? People should send in a sure. one-page essay uh, homework. We'd love that. Uh, what is, what motivates God? What gets him out of bed in the morning? What motivates God? What's his motive? And of course, it's love. And that made me think of a uh, famous passage from C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, in which Screwtape, the devil, says, we can't figure out what the enemy's motive is. I mean, we've tried to understand. We've got our researchers working on it. I accidentally once slipped and said it's because he loves the creatures, but we know it can't be that because hell doesn't know what love is. Mm -hmm. So then he's got this uh, famous passage. To us, a human is primarily food. Our aim is the absorption of its will into ours. But one must face the fact that all the talk about the enemy's love for men and his service being perfect freedom is not mere propaganda, but an appalling truth. He really does want to fill the universe with a lot of loathsome little replicas of himself. Creatures whose life on its miniature scale will be qualitatively like his own, not because he has absorbed them, but because their wills freely conform to his. That's spiritual perichoresis. He makes us into a loathsome little replica of himself. You are a little Christ. That's why you're called a Christian. Little Christ. And he makes room for us in his perichoresis. That's what the word perichoresis communicates to me, why I um, haul this out of the Greek bin on the corner of my office. Not by absorption, but by their wills freely conforming to his. That's the definition of Trinitarian life. The wills freely conform to one another. Obedience. The first hierarchy is inside the Trinity. Then Christ's perichoresis is, is his divine and human in union with one another. The communication of the divine nature to his humanity, but which is received only because his human will accepted it. And now we're being invited in a spiritual perichoresis, our mysticism, to freely conform our wills to his. And then he lives within us. We become a little replica of Christ. We'll continue our conversation with Dr. Fagerberg in our next episode. You've been listening to Pathway to Sacred Mysteries with Dr. David Fagerberg. To hear and or to download this conversation, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or you can find it within the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible, to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Pathway to Sacred Mysteries with Dr. David Fagerberg.